What's up, folks? It's John Lawrence with Anesthesia Guidebook. Today, we've got a bit of a blast from the past with an episode that was originally published on August the 6th, 2015 on the podcast from the head of the bed. I've been on a bit of a run recently with shows related to anesthesia education, so I figured this was the perfect time to bring this episode over to Anesthesia Guidebook. It's coming out today on August 17th, 2021. I think this interview still has relevance for where the field of nursing anesthesia is and where we're headed. SRNAs from various nursing anesthesia programs have told me over the years that this episode has been required listening as part of their training. In the podcast, Dr. Sean Collins and I discuss the transition from master's level training for CRNAs to practice doctorates, most commonly the Doctor of Nursing Practice Degree, or DNP. Every CRNA program must transition to the doctorate level for new classes by January 1, 2022, so just a few months away, with every SRNA graduating from a doctorate level training by 2025. Most of the 124 CRNA programs in the U.S. have already transitioned to doctorate degrees, with some having done so more than a decade ago. There are still a few stragglers out there who are trying to get their DMP programs accredited and launched for this next year. In this podcast, Dr. Collins and I discuss why CRNA training transitioned from the master's level to the doctoral level and what this means for education, clinical practice, and business. At the time of the interview, Dr. Sean Collins was the Nurse Anesthesia Program Director at Western Carolina University and the Interim Dean of the College of Health and Human Sciences. He was the Program Director when I attended WCU and was a huge source of encouragement and support to me personally as I ran the gauntlet of anesthesia training. He was also instrumental in helping my classmates and I launch the podcast from the head of the bed, serving as our project chair and one of the co-authors of the paper we published on social media and nurse anesthesia education in the AANA Journal. Dr. Collins has obtained both his Doctor of Nursing Practice degree and his PhD and compares these degrees along with other types of doctoral programs in this podcast. He helped develop the DMP program at WCU, transitioning the master's level nursing anesthesia program to a practice doctorate and served as its first program director. Dr. Collins is currently the Associate Dean for Academic Affairs and Graduate Studies at Loma Linda University's School of Nursing, where he supports two master's programs, a PhD program, and eight clinical doctorates. So before we jump into the discussion, I also want to mention that not only has the entire field of nursing anesthesia almost fully transitioned from master's level entry to practice degrees to doctoral degrees, but the standards behind what's required in practice doctorates have also recently been updated. Beginning the fall of 2019, the Council on Accreditation of Nursing Anesthesia Educational Programs, or COA, which set standards for university programs, began revising those standards based upon recommendations from a full scope of practice competency task force. The COA updated several standards and requirements of CRNA doctorate programs, including increasing the number of required anesthesia cases, mandating specific training in the use of point-of-care ultrasound for diagnosis and therapeutic interventions, mandating 12-lead ECG interpretation training, radiology and fluoroscopy use, chest x-ray interpretation, and more. You can read about these changes and the specific requirements for CRNA doctoral programs at the COA's website, linked in the show notes. And with that, let's get to the show. Dr. Collins, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. So let's cut right to it. Why is the entry to practice level of education for CRNAs transitioning from a master's degree to a doctorate of nursing practice? Well, I think before you um, 
talk about today, we really need to look at the history of nursing anesthesia education and its transition uh, through di several different phases. So we know that AANA began accrediting programs in 1952. Um, the function transferred to the current Council on Accreditation, or the COA, in 1975. Uh, in 1990, there was a mandate that was put out that all CRNA programs uh, begin training at the master's level by 1998, and I was actually a part of this transition period where I started an anesthesia program in 1993. Hmm. Uh, halfway through, they started offering the master's to everyone in the, who was in the program. You just had to do the extra coursework, you know, that weren't along with right. that statistics, theory, research, you know, those kinds of classes. And uh, so I graduated in 1995 with a master's. But it was uh, mandated that all programs had to had to graduate by 1998 students with the masters, and so in 1996, uh, the AANA created a task force to study the feasibility of doctoral degrees for CRNAs. Uh, at that time, they found little support for the idea. But in 2004, doctoral standards were published by the COA due to increased interest. And this sort of stemmed from the American uh, Association of Colleges of Nursing, which again in 2004 published a position statement saying that all members, uh, all member colleges should transition all advanced practice nursing education to DMP degrees. Again, this was a recommendation. It was not a mandate from AACN. So obviously the COA as a result, they actually were one of the first ones or they are the first ones to have uh, mandated advanced practice nursing to go to the, the doctoral level. So CRNAs will graduate with doctorates by by uh, 2022. So the classes, excuse me, 2025. So the class that's admitted in 2022 has to graduate in 2025 with a, with a doctorate degree, which obviously extends it to a three-year full-time uh, program of study. Interesting. So there's a lot of details in that. So what we're seeing just to review is that the American Association of Colleges of Nursing put out a position statement saying Hey, all advanced practice nurses should be trained at the doctoral level. And then the COA associated with anesthesia uh, programs, they're the first accrediting body of any advanced practice nursing group to say, we're going to do this and we're going to mandate it. And so just to clarify the dates, we said that uh, by January 1, 2025, all new grads must possess a doctorate degree. That's correct. CRNA. When they graduate, they have to graduate with a doctorate. Interesting. Is it any doctorate? Is it specifically DNP? No. Can you have a PhD? It's any, it's any doctorate. It's not specifically DNP. Uh, in fact, a lot of programs um, that are credited by the COA do not graduate students with a, an MSN, and they're not in the School of Nursing. So those programs have uh, opted to create a, a new doctorate, which is the DNAP. Uh -huh. uh, there's even another one out there that's a doctor of anesthesia practice, and it's a little bit different. That's from U of M Flint. Uh -huh. So there are other ones. You you could do an EDD. I'm not sure if any programs have opted to do an EDD, for example, you know, an education doctorate or some other type of doctorate. But obviously, the most common one is a DNP. Particularly if you're in a school of nursing, it's going to be a DNP. That's interesting, and, and so that's going to be dictated by the program, not the student. So a student can't come to WCU and where you offer a DNP associated with your anesthesia training and say, you know, I'd really like to get a PhD associated with this anesthesia training. It's going to be dictated by the school. That's correct. So many people who are applying to anesthesia programs right now are very concerned about, you know, am I going to get in the last cycle of master's trained CRNAs? Should I choose a program that has a DNP right now? What would you say to those folks who will graduate before that 2025 requirement with a master's degree? Yeah. So, I mean, this has been a concern of people. You know, the, even when um, the COA mandated going to a master's degree for practice and for to graduate, uh, some states actually did, they grandfathered in those who did not have a master's degree, but then subsequently... 
uh, said anybody who wants to come into this state to work must have a master's degree. So obviously there's that concern in the going forward. Is a a particular state, for example, going to say you cannot work here if you don't have a doctorate? Right. And so that is a little bit of a concern for for some people. It may may at some point limit you, but I think that will be uh, few and far between in terms of the number of states. I think there's a a handful of states, less than five certainly, that have Uh done that. So it may limit you to to a region that you may not be able to go to work in if, if if a state decides to do that with the doctorate as well. Um, you know, we have here uh, tried to allow the master's students in our anesthesia program to take, for example, you know, both the master's and the doctorate have economics type courses. Obviously, they have different outcomes, but uh, we give them the option of taking the, the doctorate economics course, for example, just because um, they're allowed to count that for both the master's and the doctorate at that point. And, and so obviously it makes it easier if that person then decides to get the postmaster's doctorate. Right. And there are programs out there, a lot of programs out there that are postmaster's doctorate already. I have several friends who have graduated from, and the numbers have significantly increased. When I applied to a DMP program back in 2006, uh, there were only, there were less than 10 programs in the country in the entire country uh-huh. that, that were DNP programs. Now the number's up around 200 programs where you can get a DNP. So obviously this is proliferated as a result of the recommendations by AACN um, and obviously the COA. In fact, it was integral that that, that mandate by uh, the COA was integral in us getting a DMP program uh, approved in the state of North Carolina in the UNC system just because because uh, they wanted the data and the evidence say, why do we need to do this? And we said, well, it's, it's mandated and you're going to lose programs if you don't. And so they sort of forced their hand a little bit. Right, right. So to back up a little bit, you brought up an interesting point. Um, we want the data to prove that we need to do this. Is the data there nationally? What, what's the impetus to move advanced practice nursing to a doctoral level? There's a lot of opinions about this in the medical community, you know, equivalency with physicians that are trained technically at a doctorate level, equivalency with other healthcare providers that have already moved to a doctorate level. What is that impetus? Is it equivalency? Is it money making where some people say, hey, universities are just trying to prolong education, generate more revenue? Where, where is the push coming from to move advanced practice nurses into the doctorate level? Yeah, I don't think you could say that there's any one thing that um, is an impetus for this. And some argue, well, what's the point of me doing this? And I would say, you know, most particularly postmaster doctoral programs or DNP programs focus on the leadership and healthcare business side of things, you know. And I think that's extremely important in nursing because, you know, it's great to be at the bedside. I mean, I think that we're we're awesome providers at the bedside and that's our that should be our primary focus. However, I my experience has been that most physicians are in the boardroom as well. So they are they're taking care of patients, but they are in the boardroom as well and they're the ones telling hospital administrators this is this is fact when in fact it may not be fact. So I think that it's important for us as providers to get into that boardroom, as CRNAs, to get into that boardroom and and maybe either set the facts straight or just give another side to things that maybe administrators aren't aware of. Right. You know, my, my father's cousin was uh, an, an administrator, not just an administrator, he was the CEO of a large hospital corporation that had 25 hospitals in it. And, you know, I went to his house one day for lunch and I was talking to him about 
how anesthesia works and the, and, and the supervision model, the anesthesia care team model and this and that. And he was beside himself. He did not know that the CRNA was the one in the room giving the anesthesia. That's interesting. And being supervised by an anesthesiologist or being, you know, or collaborating with a physician. And he he didn't know, he wasn't aware that CRNAs were out there doing doing uh, solo practice without, right. without any anesthesiologist on staff in the hospital. You know, so... You know, here's a guy who spent his entire career as a hospital administrator and didn't know this. And it's because right. CRNAs weren't in there telling him this. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think it's important for us to get in there. And part of that is, I think, the credibility that comes along with a DNP. You know, it's going to be hard to get credibility with our physician colleagues. You know, it's just the way it is because it's a, it's a territorial thing. But when you get into talking to hospital administrators and you, you can show that you're you're highly educated, then I think that they're going to be more listen, they're going to be more prone to listen to what you have to say. Right, right. A friend of mine who's a CRNA talks about kind of the four realms in anesthesia. One of them is practice. It's the practice of anesthesia. It's probably what ninety percent of people get into anesthesia to do is to provide bedside and anesthesia care. The other arm would be education. Obviously, there's folks that get into anesthesia. They maintain clinical practice, but they get into training SRNAs and in the future CRNAs. Then there's business, which you just spoke about as as being in the boardroom. And then also legislatively, I think the same things could be said in a legislature that if CRNAs aren't there explaining to legislators, hey, this is who we are, this is what we do, that they may not have all the information available to them to make good decisions or decisions that help support access to care, quality care to patients, those kind of things. Right. So a DMP may help with at least two of those arms, business and legislation. Yeah. I think it builds credibility with, with the people that you're talking to, especially those who um, are not uh, the care providers themselves. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Do you think there's a difference in credibility uh, between a, a DNP and other doctorates, PhD, EDD? I think a PhD is is more well known. People understand what a PhD is. You know, the drawback of, of looking at a PhD is when you see a PhD behind somebody's name, you really don't know. Well, what is that a PhD in? Uh-huh. You know, and versus a DNP, you know what that is. Right. You know, and and that's becoming more common. You know, it's becoming a more uh, recognized degree out there because there are so many programs now putting out a lot of DNPs, and so. I think that the the focus of those are totally different, and I could speak to this because I have both degrees. The um, the DNP is, is definitely more of a clinical doctorate. You know, a lot of times it does have a, and, and that is the primary focus, and that's the, where the focus should be. And um, it should not be made into a, a research doctorate. They're they're trained to take the research that's been done by the PhDs and create programs based on that data. That's that, that those outcomes that are, are found you know found from the research. So it's taking the things and, and really doing evidence-based practice or creating programs or improving programs of care um, versus the PhD, which is obviously everyone, even though you may not know what the the uh, the focus of that PhD was, you know that a PhD is trained in doing research regardless of what the the focus was. So really, I think that those are the, the two areas is practice and research. And, um, and we need both. I mean, you need people creating the research, you know, and it's not to say that DMPs can't do, I don't, I don't believe that, that it's, it's a problem with DMPs doing research as long as they understand the statistics behind the things and, um, 
and that they're actually measuring what they think they're measuring and, right. and those kinds of things, you know, and, and looking at validity and reliability and all those sorts of issues. You know, I don't see a problem with that. You know, I think that they're, they're, they're some schools are, are better at others at training them for that than, right. you know, whether that's because the people who created that program really understood the difference between the DMP or PhD is debatable. Uh-huh. You know, that's interesting. So, so all CRNAs after 2025 are going to be trained at the DMP level. What would you say to folks that want to get into education? I mean, is that in academics, is that going to be recognized as uh, qualifications to then teach right. in that same DNP program? Or do you need to, like you did, to pick up a, an additional doctorate? Yeah. I, you know, I really didn't even need to pick up that additional doctorate, you know, because at this university, they recognize DNPs and they'll put them on tenure track. You know, some places, um, some universities won't do that. They will not put a DNP on a, on a, on a tenure track. It depends if you want tenure or not, you know. Wow. Uh, you know, I did it because I figured, well, I'm going to do this stuff anyway. I like publishing. I'm going to I'm going to do this stuff. So why not get something for it? And so right. that's the only reason I went on tenure track. Um, you know, because anesthesia educators are hard to come by, and it's it, you have job security in that, not necessarily having to have a PhD or have a tenure position. Um, it depends on the university and whether or not they allow you to go on tenure, or if you want tenure. If you do want tenure, you're definitely going to be safer having a PhD because nobody's going to question the PhD in an academic setting. Some might question the DNP in terms of, of tenure. And that's okay. really the biggest difference between having a DNP and a PhD. Again, at this university, it's not an issue to have a DNP versus a PhD. Uh-huh. And, and again, if you know that uh, perhaps a PhD is really the terminal doctorate that you want, you could potentially source that a program that would offer your anesthesia training as a CRNA in association with a PhD. Yeah. And I haven't done the research to see if those programs are out there, but there may be anesthesia programs out there that, that are saying that will give you that option that, you know, instead of getting the DMP, let's, let's go down this track and get the PhD. I suspect that if you're going to do that, it's going to take you longer to do, which is all right. And there's nothing wrong with that because again, if you're thinking of academia, I would probably lean more towards a PhD or even a PhD over an EDD for the academic setting. But a DMP, again, depends on where you want to teach. You know, if you're going to go to some a level one research institute, you're really going to need the PhD. Right, right. And it may be obviously better for, for a critical care nurse to get their CRNA, get their DNP, and then if they're interested, then go back while you're getting your clinical experience and practicing as a CRNA to go back for your PhD later. Right. Right. So a couple more questions for you. Many people get worked up about CRNAs and other nurses, practicing nurses, using the title doctor in a clinical environment. So you're a CRNA, but you have a DMP. Hey, I'm Dr. Lawrence. I'll be your CRNA today. What would you say about other clinicians, uh, physicians, hospital administrators, anyone else who feel like that's not appropriate? Yeah, I mean, I, even I would agree that it's too much of a hot potato right now. I think that once the field is out there, you know, uh, and flooded with with DMPs, it may change. You know, you go into an optometrist who may be working in an ophthalmologist's office, and you still call them Dr. So-and-so, right? So, I mean, I, we know that it already occurs in other fields. And uh, I think that the key is what it's going to be dictated by is hospital bylaws. And again, this is another reason for CRNAs to get into the boardroom, you know, because because they're being told something by another provider, and and yet 
you know, they don't have both perspectives. Right. You know, so if that's going to happen, you know, I'm not saying I'm against it. It's just uh, I would caution that if you do that, that you need to make sure that you tell them you are a certified registered nurse anesthetist because because you want to be known as a certified registered nurse anesthetist. Uh-huh. And and because you're going to provide good care for that patient. And you they, they want to remember that their good care came from a certified registered nurse anesthetist. Right. Great. Good response. One question about the clinical program of a DNP. So it's a clinical doctorate. How is the training different from what's offered right now in a master's program? I mean, are there more clinical hours? Are there, is there more clinical focus in the additional coursework? We're taking another year or another six months or a year to, to obtain that clinical doctorate. How is that education going to differ from what's being offered now in a master's program? So the doctoral standards have been published by the Council on Accreditation, and they took effect uh, I believe this past January. And as part of that, some of the things are clinical focused that are changing. For example, you have to have the, the case numbers to graduate have gone up. Uh-huh. You know, it was 550. Now it's 650, you know, and, and things like that. And then uh, but also certain types of cases. So those th- those things have increased. So um, hopefully you will become a better practitioner as a result because you have more experience from a clinical perspective. But also um, a lot of the focus has has shifted to, again, evidence-based practice and being able to take that research and implement it into a, a program that improves outcomes. Also focuses on, again, the business side because you, you I mean, you take economics now in the, in the master's program, but but in the doctoral program, for example, the, the you get a little more into the formulas, for example, that a CFO would be looking at so that you can sort of speak their language you know because you if it's going to impress them number one if you can speak their language when you come to them with something that you need Uh and and most of those guys are about the numbers so if you understand those numbers then it's going to be you know you're going to have that much of a stronger position with that person so i think that really it, it helps you from a uh a systemic Perspective. It's not just, I mean, it improves, I think, your clinical side because of the increased case requirements, but also increases, um, and in fact, it expands that because some of the new requirements require, uh, you know, we have to teach now about safety and radiation because of, you know, using the C-arm for doing an epidural steroid injection, you know, as a standard of care, you know, and those kinds of things. So we have to really start including that in our training. But also, again, the global perspective from the business side and understanding how to talk to administrators. Right. right. So both both realms, uh, clinical preparation and business, both of those are growing in the DMP. Yes. Great. What would you say to master's prepared CRNAs that are out there practicing right now? They've got 10 years experience. They've got 20 years experience. They're looking at another you know, 10, 15, 20 years in their career. Should those folks be concerned about this transition? Should they have the feeling that they need to go back and get a DNP to continue to practice? No, I don't think so. Again, I think it depends on if you're planning on moving and, and if, if, if states, some states decide to require a doctorate for practice within their state. Um, I know people, you know, friends of mine who have 10 or 20 years left in their, in their career and they've gone back to get their DNP or DNAP. And that was more of a personal choice. I think, mm-hmm. I think they don't want, you know, they're the type of person who just doesn't want to be left behind. Right. And they don't want to, be told something that they can't can or can't do something because of a uh, of a title or a degree, right. and so they they went ahead and got that terminal degree, you know. So I think it's a personal decision. I, I don't I don't know that it really you can say either way that that somebody should go back if they have ten or twenty years left. It's more of a personal choice. Okay. Okay. Great. Good. Good thoughts. Anything else that you want folks to know about the transition to DMP education for CRNAs? 
Well, you know, it's going to happen. And it's already happening. And um, the train has left the station. It's, it's, it's going full steam. And all programs are in the middle of transitioning. And, you know, we were concerned about, as they were back when they transitioned to a master's degree, well, how is this going to affect our applicants? You know, is, are the people who don't want a doctorate going to all flood to the, the late stragglers programs who don't uh, transition right away to a DNP? Um, or are we going to have a higher number of applicants as a result of us having the DNP versus somebody who doesn't? Right. You know? So... I think that it's 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 going to happen whether we like it or not. It's it's coming. It's been mandated. Um, I do believe that it makes us more well-rounded providers. It it gives us some increased credibility with administrators, and I mean overall, I think it's a great thing. That's great. I think with any change, uh, there's often a lot of misunderstanding that comes uh, with change. Why is this going on? What's the benefit? There's always pushback to change, but to see this in a positive light, CRNAs are leading. CRNAs are the first practice group of advanced practice nurses to say, we're going to step in and and get a DMP. Yeah. And I've always said, you cannot, uh, you cannot improve things unless you're changing things. So change is never easy, but we can't get better unless we're changing things. So that's great. And uh, when will WCU have their full DMP program up and up and running for folks? So we have a postmaster's DMP right now. We're graduating our first class uh, in about a week. Great. And then um, the post BSN or entry to practice DMP, uh, we anticipate that we'll start in 2017 or 2018. Great. Great. All right. Well, Dr. Collins, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your insights. Thank you for having me. Hey, y'all. John here. If you're digging the show, will you take a couple of minutes and drop a review of Anesthesia Guidebook on Apple Podcast? Your comments and ratings help other people trust the show. Also, send a link to the podcast to your classmates and colleagues. Word of mouth is the best way for Guidebook to grow. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time.